Charles didn't have just any coronary artery disease. He had Charles's coronary artery disease. Michelle didn't have just any heart attack. She had Michelle's heart attack. At VCU Health Poly Heart Center, we know every heart is unique. And as Virginia's only nationally ranked heart program, we'll keep them beating healthy and strong. VCU Health Poly Heart Center. Learn more at vcuhealth.org heart. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the WIM podcast. Women in Influencer Marketing, or WIM for short, is a first-of-its-kind exclusive networking group made up of inspirational women. This podcast is where we explore influencer marketing, advertising trends, and get real about women in business. Our mission is to network, to foster leaders within this exciting industry, and to share information to make our work stronger. That's where this podcast comes in. We'll bring you fresh perspectives on timely topics facing the industry from expert voices in the space. Find us wherever you download podcasts. And of course, you can always find us at IamWim.com. That's IamWim.com. Hey, everyone. How's it going? I just got finished chatting with our guest who is on today's episode. She is awesome. I have legitimately been wanting to get her here on the show for quite a while. So you are definitely in for a treat. Many of you know her. Her name is Kate Durkin. She's sort of been a legend in our industry. I feel like I would make her blush if she heard that live. So I hope she's listening now and blushing. (laughs) Kate's awesome she's also just great people she's so supportive she is just like a wealth of information and like truly the spirit of whim I am just super grateful that she's so active and present and giving and just wonderful in our community we talk about how she's been recently named a group expert in our Facebook community and the reason is it's actually all of our most engaged Facebook members get that badge so you feel like you know you know who you're chatting with that they are truly an expert engaged in these conversations and have a lot of expertise to give so she is absolutely one of those people I encourage you to really pay attention to what we're chatting about in the show we talk about freelance and consulting something that's new to her but that she's thriving in we also talk about agency life and PR firms and some of the struggles that they are currently having to keep good talent and also just where the industry is going as a whole. So I hope you enjoy this episode as always. If you want to partake in all of our community fun, definitely check out our website. It's IamWim.com. That's IamWim, double I-M.com. And um, you can find all of our upcoming events, which include awesome masterclasses, recruitment opportunities, casting opportunities, and so much more. I really hope that you join. And if you take a peek at the show notes, you will find a little coupon code special for you. All right, everyone, enjoy the show. So Kate, I'm so happy to have you. First and foremost, welcome. Thanks for being here. No, I'm psyched to be here. Finally. Finally. I've asked you for a long time. I respect a no, but I appreciate a yes. (laughs) I appreciate the persistence. (laughs) So yeah, this has been long overdue and people are probably like, oh, like Kate, I've seen that name maybe in a Facebook group or, you know, maybe they've worked with you once or twice. I am certainly happy to have you here. And I think that by our listeners who would hear directly from you about your professional history and your, your professional journey, I think it'd be fantastic. So do you want to sort of just recap that for everybody, how you got to where you are today? 
Sure. You know, in some ways, it's been very unintentional. Like I was telling somebody the other day that if I ever wrote a memoir about my professional career, it would definitely have the word stumbling or tumbling in the title. Uh, Because it wasn't, you know, I didn't go to college to study anything, PR, marketing, communications, or anything. I studied Spanish literature, I studied economics. And I then moved to New York City right after college and realized it was, you know, it was 2000. And I needed to get a job. And I at sort of a moment of connection of meeting somebody that worked in an ad agency or sort of a branding and design agency who gave me a chance at a job. And that woman still very much a present mentor to me now, but she really gave me a chance at my first job. And it was in the branding and design space for a Formula One car racing team. So really early days of kind of sponsorship. And as part of that, we did a lot of journalist relations. We did sponsorship. We did ambassador programs, but it was really like live people that were trendsetters going to clubs or club promoters or things like that. Like it was 2000. It was before social media. It was before even really like a lot of good mobile phone technology and and all of that stuff. So I really had my kind of first foray into this notion of people being influential that were just everyday people when I was working with brand ambassadors. And then from there, I got really involved in trend forecasting and I was looking forward to what was coming and a lot of mobile media and and social media started to pop up then. I was also super interested in research and consumer insights. So I had had actually joined a company that was consumer insights focused and it was an approach private online brand communities. And we started to realize this is in about 2008 that I was running a community for my Coke rewards, which was Coca-Cola's rewards program at the time. And we started to notice that there was quite a few people in the community that had a thousand Facebook friends. And, you know, at the time I had 20 and we were like, what is that? How does this woman know these people? And, you know, in talking to her, finding out, she's like, well, I'm just really good at coupons. And so I share coupons on Facebook. And then also on my blog and we're like, what's a blog? Like, why would I ever read a blog? Like, who cares about what you have to say? And, and, but it was really like this first look at, oh, everyday people can actually be really influential on Facebook. And, and it just kind of tumbled from there. And I sort of have seen the industry start from couponing moms on Facebook and blogs into, I worked a lot with blog her and she media in like the original days of blogging and helping women who were at one time sort of stay at home moms and looking to earn their own money and make their own living and helping them monetize the millions of page views that they were getting on their blogs. And then just kind of tumbling from there. So I've worked on influencers from the perspective of people being influential. I've worked on it from the perspective of monetizing ad inventory in really interesting ways and not necessarily needing to be a big publisher like a Meredith or a Condé Nast or something like that, but actually you could be an everyday publisher and actually monetize that. To then like really kind of creator focused economies, which have been, you know, really interesting and just brokering brand deals in that sense. So I feel like I've touched a lot of different pieces of the industry so far. And now, as you know, I've been working on my own for almost the last year in a lot of different capacities, taking on a lot of different projects. It's been exciting, interesting, cool, weird, great, terrible, all things every day. But yeah, I'm just excited to kind of see where the industry continues to change and grow into. 
you've really seen it from like truly the beginning. I totally remember my Coke rewards. I definitely remember that program. You also like, he was on the tops of Coke, Sprite, all of those things. But we have this community of like a thousand people that were, I mean, people are crazy about my Coke rewards and Coke products and Coke collectible things. And we have these like online communities where we would invite super consumers to join those communities. And sometimes they would tell us about the rewards program. Sometimes they would tell us about, you know, we would give them ad creative and say like, what do you think of this? Like it was sort of focus groups, but online. But the more we started to dig into some of these people, that's when we started to discover like, wow, actually maybe we're sitting on something completely different here. This is a random question. Do you happen to know of anybody from the early days of influencers, like the early couponing influencers that you worked with back then? Like, have any of them are still yeah. in the influencer space today? Do you really? Totally. I mean, there's this woman. I think her name is Southern Savers, might be her name. Her name is Jenny. I can't think of what her last name is. I still very much follow her on Facebook. She's still 500 plus thousand at least on Facebook. People love coupons. That is something that was a thing when I was a child. When my mom was a child, it is a thing in the future. So I don't think deals, discounts, savings, things like that are going to go anywhere. And the more ways that people have to do them, you know, rewards programs, in card things on your phone, all of that stuff, it just gets like more and more tech savvy. But those women are still very much around. That's really cool to hear. Because I mean, I just think of from like an influencer's perspective, um, or their manager's perspective, you know, there's this question of like, is there longevity in this? And like, how can I remain relevant? How can my personal brand transcend years of time and, you know, all the changes from when Instagram didn't even exist to now TikToks are out, like all the things, what would you attribute their longevity to having followed them? I mean, two answers to that question. One is I get that panic. Like I will sometimes be working with clients, like a brand client. And I will say like, oh, we're going to use this influencer and here's her fees. And the client will be like, oh, it must be nice to be an influencer. Or I should have just done that job. And I'm like, that job is a hustle. Let me tell you, like I have friends that are influencers and have found sort of different modicums of success along the way in influencing some very successful, some less so, and it is a hustle. So just to put that out there, like I do not think that that is an easy job to do. I think part of it too is you have to constantly stay relevant and you have to constantly move with things. And also, I think I was talking to like Brittany Hennessy about this not that long ago, but like diversified revenue streams are super important. Like you have to assume that if one whole stream of revenue goes away one day, like you have to have other things. So whether you are doing product line developments, whether you are building a blog and passively monetizing ad revenue, YouTube channel monetizing revenue, like I think other people will come up with creator funds similar to TikTok where you're able to just like monetize your traffic in some way that like you couldn't on Instagram and Facebook for so long, but also getting consulting jobs, like getting consulting jobs within companies to help them inform product developments, not just on co-branded products. Not that I think like Jennifer Aniston as the C chief creative officer of Vital Proteins is like the right execution of that, but I can definitely see influential people going into companies in consulting type roles to actually help them figure out like whether it's a rebrand, whether it is new product line extensions, it's sort of working a bit behind the scenes. I mean, I think the influencers that I've seen, there's this woman, Kelly Augustine, I'm pretty sure is her name. I follow her. You know, she was a fashion influencer, but she does a lot of styling. Like she actually has styling clients that she does. And that's, so I think finding diversified revenue is just super important. And when it comes to like back to the coupon bloggers, 
they've had to constantly keep up with technology. It used to be, you know, you're clipping literal paper coupons and bringing them into the store, which is still very much relevant to a lot of people. But now it's like, you need to understand store cards. You need to understand like in-apps, the Ibotas, the different reward programs, Ebates, Rebates, affiliate programs, all of that stuff. Everybody should be earning affiliate revenue if they can be earning affiliate revenue. And if you're not monetizing affiliate revenue, you should be like, I think you should just look for as many ways that you can diversify as possible. And you know, it doesn't necessarily mean like going into what's the cool new thing either. You know, it doesn't mean that just because now TikTok is cool that you need to have a TikTok present. You might need to have a TikTok present at a certain point. Like you might just sort of need to be there, but you don't need to build an audience in the same way that you need to build an audience in other places. But it was a circular answer to, I think you have to continue to know your industry. Like the people I've seen not be successful are the people that are not willing to change with the speed of how things are changing. But isn't that true for a lot of industries and a lot of people? Like it's certainly not just influencers. I can make the argument. 100%. I mean, why you and I were like, you and I have had this conversation about why it's really tough in big age agencies and PR firms and things like that, why it's really tough for them to continue to stay on top of things is because you it's an industry where you have to be so nimble, like the speed at which technology is moving and the speed at which something is cool one day, like, and not the next a year ago, or whatever, at this point now, 18 months ago, TikTok didn't exist. A year ago, we were still trying to convince clients it was a brand safe environment. Last week, it eclipses YouTube in views per day. And it's just like, Okay, so but now you're a sort of a monolithic agency with 20 layers of vendors and all these things, but you need a platform that can record metrics for TikTok. Like you have to be able to be more nimble about things. And I think that's the more nimble companies are the ones that will win ultimately. So here's a theory on that. And this is a great segue to the conversation about like consulting and freelance work and stuff, because look like just operationally, any large company, whether it's an ad agency, PR, a PR firm, like just the size of a large company operationally is not really set up to be nimble and to be able right. to like shift whatever needs to be shifted quickly. A small business is, a consultant yeah. is, you know, these are people who are. So I've seen a lot, a huge shift for a variety of reasons of people who are sort of, you know, getting away from agency life and either working for themselves or working for smaller companies. I see a lot of smaller companies or consultants who their work is performing. And you could say like, well, that's interesting. Like they're getting ROI, like their work is performing really well. Why is that? And I think it's exactly what you're describing because they're able to be really nimble. Like if a holiday campaign, right? If it's a large agency, they're planning for that how far in advance? I mean, you would know. Yeah, I mean, you start planning holiday in May, maybe in June. May, May or June, a half maybe a year ahead of time, right? If they're like, all right, like this is going to be an Instagram campaign. And like, okay, well, where in the Instagram ecosystem? Okay, so we're going to do like an in-feed and stories, which is like the most lame campaign deliverables. Mm-hmm. It makes me vomit every time I see that. It's so uninventive. And yet, if you are in conversations present day with any influencers talking about Instagram, what do you hear them say getting the most views right now? Where in, when they're on Instagram would you say? I mean, stories, reels, I guess. I hear reels. I hear reels. Yeah. Yeah. I think reels is what needs to be figured out on reels still is the, like the whitelisting and the boosting of them still isn't synced up in the ads manager in the same way to allow companies to like 
buy paid traffic for them. So I think that that's the only reason that people have been shying away from it. But definitely, I mean, reels, stories, ongoing story content, the no in-feed stuff, really. They're competing with TikTok. I mean, that's exactly what's going on, of course, if you really like analyze it, yeah. right? So they're trying to create, you know, vertical video that is competitive with their, you know, someone who's lit a, lit a fire under their ass, which is TikTok. So they're really leaving heavily into yeah. reels. They're promoting the heck out of it. If you post on reels, you're just going to get a lot more views than you would think. But if somebody's been planning content since May, are they really going to go against that? They have to justify their work to their client and say, well, my strategy, and we've been strategizing this since May. And like, oh, we put all these resources toward this. Yet a consultant or you know a smaller company might logistically be able to pull off a, a pivot. <laughs> and I think that's a really strong and powerful argument as to why people should be working more with smaller agencies and consultants. What are some other benefits that you've seen? I think part of it too is like an agency isn't planning, like an agency doesn't define the sort of planning calendar, right? Like a client actually is defining the planning calendar. So I think one of the biggest shifts is how clients have to start looking at their own planning and their own calendars, knowing how quickly things are changing, how quickly things become relevant that are not relevant, how quickly things get canceled, how quickly things go in and out of favor. Like we're using a planning calendar that made sense for shooting TV spots, you know, and planning calendar that made sense for large scale print production, but that doesn't necessarily move at the speed of social media, which it's like, you know, every day, something that was cool yesterday is not cool the next day. So it's really hard to plan three months in advance because you don't know what's trending. You don't know what's going to be, you know, the latest recipe craze that you can hop onto or, you know, the latest challenge that people are doing or the the best piece of music or something like that. It's moving so quickly and I get it. It's it's hard even just as me, a singular person working by myself, it's hard to keep up with sometimes. I will have pitched an idea and then go back to it a month later and be like, "Mm, maybe that's not like the best idea anymore. Or is that even going to work? Or is there something cooler? Is there newer? Like it's, a lot to keep up with, but I think it's harder in an agency environment where you're being held to a client's planning calendar that is very much focused on a traditional model of, okay, we need it to match up with our, you know, like the social and influencer is part of one whole ecosystem of like, we're shooting a TV spot and we're also doing in-store activations. We have our press and we have our this and like, it's just sort of one piece of it that moves at a completely different speed. And I think that that is the biggest challenge for everybody out there. So while an independent agency can certainly jump in and do things quicker and and more nimbly, and it still is incumbent upon the client to plan quicker too, you know, like to be able to plan quicker, to be able to approve things quicker, to not need 27 rounds of legal review to get an idea through, you know? I mean, I was talking to you earlier, like I started working on a project that was meant to launch in April and it launched six months later. And there's certain aspects of the campaign and in how we were, even just in how we're talking about COVID and how we're talking about homes that back in April, when we were planning for it felt like, okay, we're, you know, we're welcoming people back into our homes. And now we're just like, 
mm, are we doing that? So there's kind of a lot of things we have to sort of pivot on. And that's the downside of that long, really long planning cycles. I hear that. And I appreciate that perspective. You know so much more about that side of things than I do. So what are your thoughts about partnering with influencers who probably are the closest to it, right? Like they're the closest to feeling the shifts and changes. They see their metrics they could on a daily basis and have a firsthand view into that. They're feeling like, oh, like Reels is really popping right now or like my TikTok's exploding. So do you see that brands and agencies are really listening to influencers or is there a a big opportunity that's being missed there? So I think what brands are listening to is their competitors that are gaining market share quickly, especially like competitors in the D2C space. So like a company like Venus is able to see how quickly a Billy or something like that is gaining market share because Billy is a small brand that is probably doing a lot of their stuff just directly with influencers and it's not a long planning process and some of the content is really well produced and some of it is not as well produced and it's all good though. You know, it's okay. And so I think that clients are looking to a lot of these kind of more innovative D2C, born on Instagram, born on TikTok brands for how well they're able to really quickly gain market share. And, you know, even if that's a 1% share, it still is really meaningful. And so I think that at least like a lot of the clients I've been working with have been really taking notice and you see the types of brands that they're referring to aren't because they have huge amounts of revenue, but it's because they have a lot of share of voice on social. And what are they doing and how are they doing it so quickly? That's so interesting perspective. So here's something that I've witnessed, and I would love to get your perspective a little bit more in depth about it. I know that your most recent work experience is at a PR firm. I personally have been witnessing a lot of candidates in my recruiting work that is largely attributed to you. So thank you for showing me that that's even a thing that could be done. So thank you. We're working on it. It, It's brilliant. It's also like the most rewarding work I maybe have ever done, right? Like getting people... One of the best things I've done over the last year is actually have time to network and connect people on jobs. And I probably have placed about or gotten people, eight or so people into their next jobs. And I agree with you. It's like, it's super rewarding. So rewarding. I'm enjoying the heck out of it. And it's so much largely attributed to you. So thank you for that. My pleasure. And like in that work, I'm meeting with a lot of people who are currently at PR firms, which shall absolutely remain nameless for the purposes of this conversation. But a lot of them, you know, I'm hearing things like, I want more growth potential. I feel like I'm being limited. I feel like I'm not earning as much as I could. And they're just, they're wanting to leave these PR firms and and agencies in general. You have recent experience there. I'm sure you've also known a lot of people, of course, we're at them. Why do you think there's this, what I experienced to be mass exodus from agencies? Yeah, you know, I think I've been very candid that my experience within a PR agency was not the highlight of my career by any means. It was eye-opening in a lot of ways in terms of things I, ways I wanted to work and ways I did not want to work. And, you know, it ended rather unceremoniously for me, but all is good because it sort of forced me into the next step. So change and forward momentum, I think is 
always good. But, you know, I mean, I think that what are they kind of calling this? What's happening right now, like in culture, like the great resignation or the mass resignation or something like that. Like, I think it is happening everywhere because for a lot of reasons, one is I think people are waking up to work environments being toxic and realizing that actually you don't need to stay in an environment that is toxic, that there's a lot of opportunity right now and that you can stand up for yourself. And whether that is you're not being paid enough, you're not giving enough opportunity on promotion, whether you're not giving enough growth opportunity, just whether you're working with shitty clients and working 15 hours a day, you know, 80 hours a week, you know, one of the things is that a lot of times within PR companies, and this is not exclusive where I worked, but you sort of live and die by billable hours, which means that if you're not being fully utilized, there's sort of always this kind of panic and anxiety about having enough hours to fill your time. But there's actually zero concern when you're billing 160% of your time. So, you know, nobody stepping in and saying, oh, hey, actually, this person is overworking by 60%, but 1% underworking becomes an issue. And so it sort of creates an environment where your creative product is just not as best as it can be because you're tied to a billable hour in that way. And, and listen, I think a lot of people want are taking advantage of the fact that there is a lot of opportunity out there right now. And I think a lot of the stigmas that I came up in my career with, like you had to stay at a job for at least two years and what would it look like on your resume? And now like just things like that matter less because you can be transparent about a lot of things that you weren't transparent about before. You, you can talk more openly about salary. You can say, this was a toxic environment for me. And listen, like I'm always as somebody who has hired a lot of people, you look for patterns. Like if I look for somebody that's, you know, the last four jobs they've only stayed at for a year, I definitely as a hiring person, I'll probably be thinking to myself like, all right, am I investing time for this person to stay here for a year? Was that environment toxic? Was it them? Because it's not always the environment. Sometimes it's the person for sure. And sometimes it's just a mismatch. You know, sometimes it's just not a fit. But I think that PR firms and things and, you know, bigger agencies struggle. You know, I have friends that work in like big ad agencies and things like that. They struggle to stay relevant. You know, I was talking about this last night with somebody like there used to be so much cachet to working in a big agency on one of the big brands. It would be like, oh, well, you're working 15 hours a day, but it's P&G or you're working 10 hours a day, but it's you lever or you're doing this, you know, sort of this big blue chip brand. And now it's like, well, you know what? There's actually this equally cool brand that has 10 people working for it. Maybe I'm going to work there and maybe I've got equity in that brand being successful. And like, I think that in this sort of great resignation and sort of great awakening that we're going through in the way in which people work and the way in which people are expected to work, everything is going to change. Like whether we like it or not, like it's so many things are going to change in the way that people are looking at what they are and aren't willing to go through and go for and accept. And I think it's also a struggle to try and stay, like we were talking about before, like staying nimble, sort of at the speed of culture and like agencies that claim that they can truly move at the speed of culture. It's, that's hard, you know, like that's, it's hard to build a business that way. It's hard to keep employees that way. And so it's, I don't envy any business that's trying to, large business that's trying to really find their footing right now because culture is shifting so quickly and people's expectations are shifting so quickly. I love it. I think it's super interesting 
understand what you're talking about. I, I don't know. There's certain areas in our industry where it's like fitting a square peg in a round hole. Like it's just not the right fit yet. People try and try and try. So yeah. like, for example, I was talking to somebody earlier today about, you know, well, yeah, influencers and managers want to create deep seated, long relationships with the brands and agencies that they're working with. So like, okay, the next question is like, when do I do that? It's not during a campaign. I'll tell you that much, right? Because at that point, what is the timeline look there? It's we're trying to do this at scale. We're trying to meet a deadline. We're trying to do that. Like, so it's literally the antithesis of it. Yet people get really discouraged when at the end of a campaign, they're like, I don't really feel like I built much of a relationship. It was very transactional. Yeah. That's fine. That's not when it's meant to happen, right? Like they're right. just like do it after, like take a beat because they have to then wrap up the campaign, et cetera. It's like take a beat and then reconnect when things are a little, it's a little different pace. It's also, I think, really hard to build relationships with agencies. Like I know as somebody who worked agency side or worked on behalf of brands almost always, like for the most part, you're contracted for a project. You are only looking as far as that project. So when you get inbound outreach, like so-and-so loves your brand and would love to work together or so. And I'm like, "Mm, yeah, we have like, if we have a project coming up that we think of, great. But otherwise, you know, it, it can be challenging to build relationships with agencies. I mean, I would encourage people to try and build relationships with brands directly because that's what happens often is the brand will say, we've been talking to this person or our, our social media manager has been talking to this person and we think they could be a good fit. Let's build something around that. Like trying to build relationships with the PR agency, turnover is high. It can be very transient or transactional and everything is very project-based versus longer term relationships. That's super interesting perspective. I think a lot of people are really going to appreciate hearing that. um, Because again, like you just want to be efficient and it's like, what's the best way to achieve what I'm looking to set out to achieve? So that makes perfect sense to go out and connect directly with the brands. I'm sure like they're making specific requests when they start a campaign. They're like, you know, find great people, but like use these two, (laughs) you know, or or start with these two and fill out from there. Right. It's usually like we have $100,000 and we know we need X amount of impressions. So we need X amount of people that fit this size and scale. So a lot of times also in in an agency or scenario, or sometimes when you're working like in a lot of different scenarios on behalf of a brand, you're being told what the scope is already. So yeah, you might have people that you know are fans of the brand, but the agency, like we don't have access most of the time to a brand's social media. We don't know who's tagging them. We don't know who's DMing them. We don't know, like all of those types of things where you are sort of building the relationship one-on-one. But some of my clients over the last year, like I've been working internally brand direct and it's a very different dynamic because you do have direct access to the conversation. So then when people come in and say like, oh, you know, so-and-so loves your brand. We would love to do something. Then I might be like, oh yeah, well, I don't know, come into the store, come into the whatever it is, you know, and we'll do something or here's a discount code for your audience and let's see how that goes and you know maybe come in for a free session or something like that like or yes you know we're recruiting for paid partners we'd love to have you do these things you know what I love about that though is like having that peek behind the curtain having that awareness because I do feel like there's so many missed opportunities simply because there's teams that are so siloed or you know the brand is handling this and the agency that's handling paid social and influencer they're all separate and just like more data is more information that you can use at your fingertips I want to know from you though having like had multiple perspectives now who have you seen that's sort of really done that communication the best and like they've really shared in 
information with each other. What was different about how they did it? You mean from like an influencer or when you worked at the PR firm or like wherever it was, it seems like their teams were all really communicating with each other, right? Like everybody's out there doing their specific task and their zone of genius, but there was a lot of communication amongst those teams to be able to inform each other. And I'm curious, like, how did that logistically work? I feel like that's people's ideal situation, except they're not achieving it. No. And I mean, for example, like say in my last role, like say we have 15 people on the team, 15 people working largely on 15 different campaigns, maybe across 10 different brands at any given time. So a lot of time, what's really challenging is even just understanding like, okay, I'm working with ex-influencer on this campaign. Oh, I didn't know that so-and-so was also booking on that campaign. And there isn't often a lot of like cross-sharing of things that are happening. You know, we would do a lot of like status meetings and, you know, keeping people updated, especially if it was like, bigger talent, then you'd be like, okay, so-and-so is working with, you know, X person and you're working with them. Great. We should be negotiating. Here's what's going to come up on the contract terms and whatever. But when you went into the territory of micro-influencers, like there were times when I could look across campaigns and be like, seven of us are working with the same person. One is that now that is seven sponsored posts they're launching probably roughly around the same time, but also like, was there an opportunity for us to do that better or what could have made it better? Like, is there better tech for us to be flagging who's working with who. And, you know, I mean, I think that that's what's hard about these big teams where there's, you know, you're managing a lot of different brands. And also oftentimes you're not like, you'll be working on a brand, the project ends, and then you're on to the next thing. So you might not even have another project from that brand for six more months. So if somebody reaches out to you and is like, oh, so-and-so likes your brand, and I know you were working on it previously, you might not be working on it next time. I think what I'm hearing from you, it shouldn't be the responsibility maybe of those people. They need to do what they need to do. It should be almost like a separate role of somebody to like see the synergies, like listen in, you know, and be the one to sort of like report back and forth almost. What do you think of that? Sure, but then you get into like an agency is never going to have a non-revenue tied role, right? So like if that role isn't, and this is, this is where the trouble comes in, right? Like there's very little resources for things like that. And this is one of the reasons why oftentimes agencies can fall behind because when you think about anything like that, you think about optimizing processes, you think about things we've talked about, figuring out a better solution for billing and how that can all work and payment for influencers, thought leadership, writing editorial content, writing blog posts. Agencies don't love a hire that is not tied to client billable hours. Client isn't paying for those, then it just becomes investment. And so then how much does the agency want to invest in that particular thing? And some agencies are great. Like they will invest a ton in thought leadership or they will invest a ton in positioning your work for awards and things like that. Those are sort of the first services to go out the door. We talk a lot about like improving the payment process and like how can we get a system that is better and works better for creators and works better for everybody when the time and ability to figure something that out within the current constructs, a lot of times the current constructs of, of a larger agency is really challenging. A hundred percent. I look a girl yeah. can dream. I feel, <laughs> you know, but I haven't been in your shoes and you've had such a front row seat to all of this. Yeah. I'd just be curious to see like who's doing it well, who is investing in those things. Because when you say like, it's not directly tied to revenue, of course, I see exactly the opposite. Like more efficiencies in any business are going to directly tie to revenue and happier employees who are not spinning their wheels and, you know, going ha- back and having to repeat work 
work because, you know, they work, right. seven people worked with the same influencer and they're losing money perhaps, right? A traditional agency isn't designed. I mean, I, this is maybe a somewhat controversial statement to say, and it certainly doesn't speak for everywhere, but a traditional agency is designed to have happy clients, not necessarily happy employees. You know, as much as anybody would say the opposite, like the service of your client is always first. And so it oftentimes, and this, listen, this isn't like exclusive to agencies. Like I've seen this in media companies. I've seen this in a lot of companies. And I think that going back to our earlier conversation are starting to be those things that people just don't want to tolerate anymore and don't want to accept in a lot of ways. And I think it's why you see like huge growth of gig economy workers and people that are willing to be like, sure, I'll get some marketplace insurance because that wasn't always an option. I'll get some marketplace insurance, which may be great, may not be great, but will be fine. And I'm just going to work job to job and not commit to things because I don't want to commit to sort of this somewhat dated construct. And it is. It's a dated construct. I'm optimistic about all of it. I'm totally optimistic. You know, I feel like I'm not meaning it from like doom and gloom in any way. Like I think that I'm totally optimistic about it. I think that there's so much opportunity out there right now. And there are so many companies that are, I love seeing the success of the smaller mid-sized companies. I love seeing companies like Whaler and Social Studies and some of those more mid-sized agencies having like platforms like 80, 50, 60, 70 new hires like that they're making, like they're getting clients to see that there are other ways of working that can be good for your employees and produce good creative work and be nimble and be cool people to work with too, like that that's all possible. And I want to commend those candidates out there who are turning down roles because they get a whiff that's like, that's not for me or that's not what they want. And they're standing up for themselves and they're saying like, you know, with this conversation about like remote versus, you know, work in office or how many days is that? Who determines that? That's a huge conversation that's been happening lately. I will speak personally. I had a candidate who was offered a great role. She was happy to take it. And then she was like, you know, like I know that they were saying it would be like in person a few days a week. And I thought I'd be okay with it. And I want more flexibility than that. And I went back to them and I was like, I think you actually might lose this candidate because she just wants to continue to work remotely. She works great remotely. You don't have to worry about her working less or being less productive or whatever. And they ended up passing and they're like, it's just a non-negotiable for us. And I was like, wow, like it was surprising and it wasn't because they set that expectation from the beginning. I wish they wouldn't have let a really great candidate go over that. But I respected the heck out of the candidate who was self-aware enough to know that like, no, I just feel like it is important to me and I could find that better fit for me elsewhere. It's really a candidate's market right now, too. I mean, there's a lot of opportunity, especially on all levels, but mid-level people and some experienced junior level people. It's a real candidate's economy out there right now where they're having, they have a lot of choice and they have a lot of options. And listen, like I've worked for very big companies almost always. I know that change is hard. Like it is hard when you have real estate that you're trying to fill and you have all 
offices and you're used to this dynamic to all of a sudden pivot everything that you've ever known about how a business works and also a desire to be in person, a desire for things to be how they were. Like, I think everybody is going through such massive emotional changes that are impacting everything we're doing that it's hard to kind of like let go of certain things and be okay with certain things because we were sort of, you know, we were catapulted into change so quickly and, you know, not everybody is ready for it. And some people are nostalgic for some type of normalcy. And I think we'll sort of see how it goes. But, you know, I think if I were a candidate right there, like I wouldn't, and I'm not like as somebody who is works freelance and contract and consulting work, but is also always open to hearing what our full-time opportunities, like, you know, there's certain things where I'll interview with somebody and they're telling me about the job. And I'm like, this sounds terrible. You know, like I don't ever want to work here, but thank you. Like, I think that people on the hiring side, they need to get better about how you're interviewing people. And it's no longer like you're sort of lucky to be getting the interview. It's like, you're lucky to be getting my time right now for this interview and and to be interviewed. So, you know, I had somebody recently set up an interview with me and she called me while walking around the grocery store. And so it's like very loud in the background. And it was like one of those things where I like, I immediately said like, Hey, like, no, no worries to reschedule. Do you want to just like call me when you're like at a desk or whatever? She's like, no, no, I'll just talk to you now. Like, Oh, I hadn't looked at your resume oh, like, what exactly was this? You know, oh, so-and-so referred you. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. And half the time, like, literally ordering things at the deli counter. And (laughs) I'm thinking to myself, like, and this is for, like, an SVP-level job. Do you think I'm ever working there? Like, no. But, you know, there was definitely a time, for sure, two years ago, where it was a very different dynamic. And it would have been like, oh, this person is lucky to have my time. And I just think that first impressions are really meaningful. And that just sort of showed also, like, what does this work-life balance look like? Like, that the only time you have to talk to me is while you're working, walking around the grocery store? Like, that can't be... That's not the life I want anymore, at least. For sure. We're talking about optimism. I think I love this shift. I love that it's a candidate's market because it obviously just gives power to so many friends of ours, right? Like in the industry. But also, I just hope that long term, people really start to see change because like, we don't need to sacrifice certain things anymore. We don't have to put up with certain things that we've just been used to for years, like decades in our experience, right? Like I've worked for the craziest people that I just I thought that I had to I've accepted roles because I was like, you don't turn down a job offer. I learned that so late in life that that was like, you could even do that (laughs) you know like that's the goal totally I mean I have a niece and she's 23 and just like watching her career progression and sort of how things are going and just like how everything is is already just sort of you know we're not like you know a little less than 20 years apart from one another but seeing like how things are so different and how she is just like very just the things that there's transparency around and the dialogues that she has and she works in a very corporate environment like she works in a But being able to like go to her boss and say, I've had outreach on LinkedIn from 15 different recruiters for a new role and I'm going to get an offer and I want to leverage that to more money. And I know that this person is making this much money and like those sort of conversations that, you know, seemingly coming very easily to her, whereas I definitely was, you know, earning $35,000 and like sitting back and there wasn't 
you know, I mean, it's just great. Like there wasn't access to jobs in the same way either that there are now. Like the amount of outreach and things even I get on LinkedIn without being sort of actively really saying that I'm looking for jobs in any way. Like I can imagine if I was like a junior person or a sort of a mid-level person, it would just probably just a flood of outreach that people get. Listen, I don't want anybody's business to fail by any means. Like I think that agencies are, there's some awesome things that happen within PR agencies and like the opportunity to work, you know, hand in hand with some very big clients is really special, you know, but the way in which it works, I think is one of the things that needs to kind of change, but it's hard. Yeah. I don't know. I'm one that like, in my opinion, like I would never be an ageist because I don't think it's about the age of the person or the age of the agency at all. It's like a curiosity and a desire to grow. And like, if you have that, no matter how old your company is or how big your company is or how old you are, like, then you do it and you can do it. Otherwise it's just like, it's just a missed opportunity. And that was a choice that you made. So look, I'm optimistic about all this stuff. I'm happy to hear that you are too. I also just happen to think, and I've told you a million times that I think it's awesome that you're like making your own rules now, working with people that you love, like, you know, living the life. And I think that a lot of people are headed in that direction as well. And everybody's going to have their own preference and, you know, everybody should just hopefully continue to become more and more self-aware to feel like what works for them. Cause now you have more options and isn't that a beautiful thing, you know? I mean, you know, listen, I was a lifelong corporate worker for 21 years, like was always under the impression that was security. That was what security looked like a corporate job with benefits with 401ks, like all of those things. And then I, you know, sort of came to realize very quickly that it was in a lot of ways, the most insecure thing I could ever do. And that you can actually, it is possible to have those things. Like, you know, I've been freelancing for nine, 10 months now. Like I have a 401k, I pay my taxes, I have a retirement, you know, all of those constructs that I thought only existed within corporate life actually can very much exist on your own. There's benefits to corporate things. Don't get me wrong. You know, health insurance is real expensive and uh, yes, it there's, is. <laughs> there's, some lush, there's some really lush benefits to a lot of like corporate full-time work. But, you know, I think I'm grateful in a lot of ways to have been let go from a job and, and sort of had to figure it out because I never would have taken the leap because I was so ingrained in thinking that that was the security. And now I just have a little bit of a different perspective. I don't know. They're both great. I mean, I definitely wouldn't say that I'm, you know, you and I were talking about this before we started. I wouldn't ever say that I'm averse to going back to, you know, working full time somewhere at all. You know, it just hasn't come up as exactly the right opportunity yet. But that perspective and having gone through the experience that you're going through. Sure, yeah, it's a, and it's a whole different kind of safety mm-hmm. or it's a whole different kind of picture of security and sort of owning, I mean, just a lot of things, owning your time, owning your earning ability, owning your money, all those things. And I've been very, I don't want to say it's lucky because I feel like saying luck diminishes the hard work that I've done over the last 20 years to build relationships and, you know, endear myself to a lot of people who have been very willing to help me and give me work and jobs. So, it's definitely not luck. It was hard work, but I've been very fortunate that the last year I've been able to get a lot of different clients and a lot of different projects. And some of them have been great. Some of them have been terrible. And the ones that have been terrible, it was great when it was over <laughs> and that it was only two months and then it was over. And it was- I love it. So before we wrap yeah. today, I want everyone to get to know some fun sides about you. Yeah. Um, we've got these like fun get to know you questions or like okay. fire. the point is that you can't put thought into it. You just have to say what first comes to your mind when I ask you the question, are you ready? Yes. 
Okay. What is your favorite age to be? Oh, 40. Um, I, I think 40. I, I've kind of liked them all. I would say 20s. I would talk to anybody that was in their early 20s now as early 20s being the most stressful time, most fun, but most stressful time of my life in terms of like, who am I? What am I doing? How to be an adult? All of those things. 30s, I felt a lot of societal pressures on things. Like for people that don't know me, like I'm just a little over 40. I'm not married and I don't have kids. And at 30, I felt in the early 30s, I felt a ton of pressure around that. At 40, a lot of those societal things go and you realize that a lot of those things are exhausting and not everybody's happy with them. And so I would say this is sort of, I'm in a more liberating time for sure. Well, you can't enjoy your forties unless you've gone through these, you know, twenties and the thirties. So I totally get it. I appreciate that answer. What is your biggest fear? I mean, this is a very disappointing people. Like I am very much a person that cares in whether I show it or not. Like I'm a person that really hates disappointing people and cares about people's opinions of me. I could probably write a book on being the emotional tolls of being laid off because I felt so much sort of like I had been asked to do a role and I disappointed people in it, even though that wasn't what it was about. But yeah, disappointing people is the fear. I appreciate that vulnerability. So many people feel like that. So I appreciate you saying that. What are two items that you would bring with you to a deserted island? I bring a phone. Yeah. I bring a phone. I bring my phone. I am admittedly a social media addict, which I know like a lot of people in our industry say they are. But I mean, I spend a lot of time on YouTube. I spend a lot of time on TikTok. I spend a lot of time on Instagram, Twitter. Like I am deep in it. I'm also like a huge researcher of things. And like when I find a topic that's interesting to me, like I love reading and I sort of go deep in it. So I would bring my phone and I'm super into this is like a new ish thing, but I've been super into playing tennis. And so I'd probably bring I think there's a tennis racket behind me, I'd probably bring a tennis racket. That's my two things. I love it. Phone and a tennis racket. And then I guess like my follow up question to just that. So let's leave it there is like, I won't uh, limit you to one, but who are your top two favorite influencers since you're on social and addicted to it? Like you're telling me? Oh, man. I feel like I change all the time. Okay, this is going to be a little bit of a long answer, but one of the things I love so much about TikTok is that it is subject specific and it is not people specific. And so it has allowed me to go so deep into subjects that like I didn't necessarily know about and wanted to know about. So like the creator at the moment was very relevant to me, but not necessarily somebody I need to follow their life story. It's just that they were educating me on something that was really specific. I love I mean, I love food. What's Gabby cooking? I mean, I have to say Gabby's a very good friend of mine. And and I just I love her content, sort of that she's somebody that I think is super aspirational in the space in that, you know, she went from being a personal chef to starting a blog to Instagram to Snapchat to product development lines to, you know, trying to now create a presence on TikTok. And I think she's somebody that's always thinking, always hustling, like in a way that's really inspirational, but is always also very real and brings motherhood into things now. And like, I really find her to be a lovely person to follow. I change all the time also who I follow. And I think one of the things is I have stopped following a lot of people that that I realize bring any sense of sort of envy into my life. I recently also did a big cleanup of like the type of fashion and style people that I follow that more sort of like accurately reflect my size, shape, style. So like, I love seeing people like Remy 
Tammy Bader and this woman, Christina Zias, like Shanae Alexander, people like that. I love people that are just sort of being unapologetically themselves and sort of old school people. Like I feel like I've been following Amber at Barefoot Blonde literally since like day one. And I kind of just like love to watch her. She's somebody else who I think is continuing to build businesses that actually have nothing to do with being an Instagram influencer. You know, people like that are really interesting to me. Ariel Charnas, something maybe I find to be fascinating. And also I know her in person and she's a lovely person. And I think, you know, watching her, you know, turn influencing into a business, I'm sure it's inspirational for a ton of people. So I, I just love to see people that are doing their thing. I love some memes. I really like comedy focused accounts. I love gossip. So like I'm a big Dumois person. Like I love deep and celebrity gossip for anybody who knows me also knows that I'm like a deep, deep, deep Harry Styles fan. So like, I love all these teen channels that go real deep in all things Harry Styles. That's awesome. I definitely feel like we got a much better sense of you. That should have been like my question one. (laughs) You can definitely learn a lot about a person by who they follow. Totally. You're like what they're looking at. Like I was talking to somebody the other, I was talking to an Uber driver. That's what it was about our prison system. I don't know how the conversation came up, but we're talking about like sort of flaws in the prison system. And we both happen to be very deep in like prison TikTok right now in these two particular people. And we were like going back and forth talking about that. Like I was saying, like I love subject matter stuff. And so that's why I love YouTube because I will just go deep into videos like that that are just educating me on the weirdest subjects. Totally. And everyone has their own like medium. I mean, when you think of, you're talking about prison TikTok, I'm like, wait, there's prison TikTok. But what I think of is like all the, all of the documentaries and all of the reality TV prison shows that I love. So now I'm like, wait, of course there's probably a prison TikTok. Now I'm going to go do that after our conversation. There is. There's like fascinating stories about like two women in particular that have been in the prison system and that are super interesting. Also, so, yeah, I mean, like, I love all things Bravo. So, like, I follow a lot of Bravo gossip related things. I listen to a lot of Bravo podcasts, like that type of stuff. You're just such a consumer, which I think is awesome. I, and, and it's so fun. It's nice to be able to be inundated with, like, all that information. It's just, like, it's fun. It's interesting. It's entertaining. It's educational. Like, all the things. So, if anybody listening or watching on YouTube wants to chat with you about all things Bravo celebrity or Harry Styles or prison TikTok what's the best way for them to reach out and connect? I mean, anyway, I just noticed the other day that on whim, I got this like group expert badge or something that all of a sudden- Yes, we gave it to you. I felt very fancy and official. So anyway, LinkedIn, DM me, email me. Those are probably the best ways. Do you know why you got that? Where you did you see the post? So the reason that you got it is because you're one of the top contributors in the group. There's a list of ten people, and every single month we're giving the top ten people that group expert, you know, that expert badge. So that's the reason. Uh, fun fact: <laughs> Kate is now a group expert. It's long overdue. Um, I want people to reach out to you. Uh, you're such a great connector. You know so many people, and you're just so generous with your time and your knowledge. And even when we were talking about today, I'm like, what do you want to talk about? And you're like, I don't know. I'm an open book. Just like let's just talk. I'm like, perfect. I love it. That's perfect. So I hope people get in touch with you. I appreciate so much that we finally, finally, finally got you on the show today. Yeah, my pleasure. It's super fun. Awesome. All right. Thank you so much, Kate. Cool. Thanks, Jesse. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, we got to have you back. Check out our website for more ways to get involved, including all the information you need about joining our collective. You can check out all the information at IamWim.com. That's IamWim, double I. 
gmail.com. And if you enjoy this episode, leave us a review, a rating. But the most important thing that we can ask you to do is to share this podcast. See you next week. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week. Tune in next week. There aren't many faces people are excited to see first thing in the morning before they've even had their coffee. But the McDonald's drive through workers who take your order on the way to work have almost all of those faces. Because nothing brings more joy in the morning than a 99 cents any size iced coffee. Pair it with a glazed full apart donut for a truly great morning. Prices and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Only available until 11 a.m. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.